Amen. Well, good morning. Let's try it again. Let's go. Good morning. All right. It is great to be here. Uh, I was down at the retreat yesterday. I had a great time with them, but really happy to be here where the real action is at. Uh, back at the home base, and it's good to be worshiping with all of you. My name is Paul. If I have not met you, I would love to do so. Please feel free to come up and introduce yourself. And we're going to start off this morning with a question that is probably a question you get asked fairly regularly. It's a simple question, and we would like to know what your answer is to the question, who are you? To find out the answer to that question, we have a QR code that leads you to a page. If you please pull out your phones, scan this code, you'll be a simple anonymous answer to the question, who are you? I would love to know who you are, how we think about our identities. There's no parameters for this question. You can answer however it makes sense to you. So answer this question for us and we'll come back and think about how we've answered it in a minute. This question, who are you, who are we, who am I, it's a question that a lot of us wrestle with at different points in our lives. As children, we're trying to figure out what it means to be part of a family, we, what is our childhood like, and then we become adolescents and we're figuring out the social world of being with other people, and then Maybe we go to school or we start a job and we're trying to figure out how our identities work with the things we're studying or what we're doing. Maybe we have children or we change careers and there's a new season of identity and then maybe we retire and we try to figure out what that looks like or we lose our job or we get sick and we can't do the work we want to do. It seems like this question, who am I, is one that just keeps recurring in our lives. It's like a, a fly that just buzzes around our head and we, we hear that buzzing in our ears and you, you can't swat it away. Who am I? Who am I in this season? Who will I become? What is God doing? I could probably say that we are obsessed with the question of identity. We talk about identity politics. We have identity crisis. We talk about our gender identity or our racial identity or our ethnic identity. We uh, worry about identity theft. Somebody's going to steal our identity. We try to craft our online identity. So much of what we do has to do with figuring out who we are. Well, this morning we're in our third week of a series in the book of Exodus that's going to take most of this academic year with a few breaks for Christmas and Easter, the seasons around there. And this morning we're looking at a passage where identity becomes front and center. The whole book of Exodus tells a story that we've called the journey to freedom. It's about a people that started out oppressed and enslaved and God managed to free them and transform them into a people that was able to worship and contribute and have a sense of who they are. The passage this morning we're looking at is often referred to as the call of Moses. We meet a man, we see God appear to him and send him on a difficult mission. But as God calls Moses, the question of identity becomes central. What we're gonna see is Moses wrestles with his own identity, but in doing so, it brings him to question the identity of God. And what we're going to see about 
who God is is a simple, simple idea that God is. God is. Let's see who we are. So let's bring up the results of our survey. So a couple of wives in the room, uh, father, husband, mom, daughter, a young black woman, photographer, Christian who is grateful, educator, sojourner, witness for Christ, violinist, physician, Hmong, American, strict, sojourner, leader, loves, inner, provider. This is great. This is us. This is who we are in this room. And it's not just who we are, but this is how we understand ourselves, whether we choose names or titles or hobbies or relationships with other people. These are the ways that we think about our identities. And what we're going to see in our passage this morning is a man who deeply struggles with his identity. He's not sure who he is. He asks God for help. And the answer that God gives him is something that we we might not expect to receive. And it might lead us to believe that perhaps we've been asking the wrong question all along. Let's jump in and look what happens. We're going to start off by encountering Moses. But we actually met him last week. Dan Westman led us through the initial stories, three vignettes that painted the picture of who Moses was. We first saw his miraculous birth, being saved from Pharaoh's murderous order. And then we saw Moses stand up for his people, his Hebrew people in the face of the Egyptians. But in the third story, we saw Moses be rejected by the Hebrews and he fled running out of Egypt. We talked about these seeds of hope, these little glimmers that something might be changing and that Moses might be the kind of person who could bring about a transformation. But as the third chapter opens, we might wonder whether somebody forgot to water those seeds because it's not looking all that hopeful. Listen to verse one of chapter three. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. We meet Moses far away from Egypt in the land of Midian. Now Moses, we are told, has become a shepherd. And if you remember anything maybe from the story in Genesis, you might remember that the Egyptians hated shepherds. That was the absolute worst, dirtiest, most disgusting job you could do. I was trying to think about a contemporary illustration. It's like, it's like being a software engineer, you know? I mean, it's like the lowest of the low, right? Nobody wants to do that. So that's how Egyptians thought about shepherds. But Moses has become one. He's no longer an Egyptian. He's broken ties with being anything like an Egyptian. We also hear that he's watching the flocks of his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Now, the flocks of a Bedouin patriarch are more important than anything else. This is your entire wealth. 
This is your bank account. It's your investment properties. It's your house. It's everything of value is stored in these sheep and goats. So for Moses' father-in-law to trust him enough to lead his flock far away to the west means that he has assimilated into this Midianite family. He's married a Midianite woman, and he's cast aside any idea of being an Israelite. He's no longer an Egyptian. He's no longer an Israelite. But we also read that he marries a Midianite woman, and he has a son whom he names Gershom. And Moses tells us that he named him Gershom because he considers himself a sojourner there in Midian, which means he doesn't belong. He's a temporary resident. So he's not an Egyptian. He's not an Israelite. He's not even a Midianite. He belongs nowhere. He has a certain ethnic heritage that he's not living out. He was raised as an Egyptian in the court of Pharaoh, but he's not living that way. He's living in Midian, but he doesn't even identify with the place he's living. Moses was a man who didn't know who he was. He had no identity. It's important for us because I think that some of us can relate to that. Some of us moved here from other parts of the country and we still don't feel like we belong. Some of us, our parents emigrated here and so we have one foot in one culture and one foot in another culture and, and we're not quite comfortable in either one. Some of us have families that weren't healthy or we were adopted or we've been moved around a lot and we've never quite felt like we fit some of us wrestle with, with our sexual identities and understanding how we fit into traditional categories. Some of us have a hard time understanding our backgrounds. Some of us just feel like we don't belong for no reason. We look around and always feel like everybody else fits, but I'm somehow different. That's how Moses felt. He was a man without an identity. He's watching these sheep. He goes up to this mountain and then God shows up. We read that Moses walks up there and he sees a bush that is burning, which would be a completely normal thing in the desert, except for the fact that this bush stayed burning. It didn't stop. It wasn't consumed. And this is what happened next. We read this in verses four to six. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, that's Moses turning aside to see the bush, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. After God was sure that he had Moses' attention, he called out to him. He says, Moses, Moses. The double repetition in, in Hebrew is, is a sign of affection or familiarity. God is calling to Moses kindly and gently, warmly inviting him. And Moses responds in a way that 
echoes throughout the pages of the Old Testament. Here I am. God says, Moses, Moses, and he just says, here I am. This is something that Abraham said when God called him. It's something that Esau said to Isaac, something that Isaac said to Jacob, that Jacob said to an angel, that Joseph said to his father, that Samuel will say later on in the story of the Bible. Over and over again, people show up, God calls to them, and they simply say, here I am. So let me make a suggestion to you. If you ever have a sense in your life that, that something's happening, Maybe you see a bush that's burning, or maybe it's something else, a coincidence, or some sense that God might be trying to get your attention. Look at it, pay attention, turn your head. And if you have a sense that God might be calling you, whispering your name, the best thing you can say in response is, here I am, here I am. It's not complicated. You're not doing a big thing. You're just saying, here I am. What I'm asking you to do is simply to show up. Show up if God calls you. And that might sound simple. It might sound like, oh yeah, kindergarten, present, like we know what we're doing. I've done this before. But actually, I'm convinced that showing up is one of the hardest things for us to do. In reality, we come from a long line of people who have worked hard not to show up, to hide ourselves, to avoid opportunities, to pretend like we didn't hear or look away from the bush that's on fire. If you go back to the early story of the Bible, the first couple, the first man and woman, listen to what they do. This is uh, Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife said, here I am. Is that how it goes? The correct answer is no. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. God calls out to them and they hide because they're afraid or they don't feel worthy, or they're not sure what he's going to say or do. There's a hundred reasons to hide. But when God calls our name, we can simply say, here I am. Let's try that. Let's practice. You guys want to practice? All right, let's say it. Here I am. All right? Here I am. One more time. Here I am. When God calls us, that's all we have to say. One last time. Here I am. Now it turns out for Moses that when he says that to God, God sends him on a mission. And listen to what God does. This is verse 10, where God explains to Moses what he's going to do. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You might already know this. God sends Moses back to deliver the people of God. But think about Moses' identity and think about how hard it is for Moses to do what God has asked him to do. He's maybe not a Midianite, but he's settled there. And God says, you need to leave the place you're comfortable. 
Not only that, you need to go back to Pharaoh, to the court where you grew up, where you never belonged, and you need to confront him. Not only that, but you need to confront him with leading your people, the Hebrew people that you don't even feel like you belong with. You need to deliver them and save them to a new kind of experience. All the questions of identity that Moses is wrestling with, God says, I'm going to send you to do my will, but it's going to involve coming head to head with the deepest fears and the deepest questions of your life. You still willing to say, here I am? (laughs) How's that feel? This is what God says to Moses. So I think we can understand then, as the story continues, how Moses responds. There's verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses has changed his attitude. He begins with, here I am, and now he says, who am I? It's a very different kind of response. But this question, too, is one that rings through the pages of Scripture. David will say it. Solomon will say it. Over and over again, the people of God will ask, who am I to do your will? Let's think about that question that we tend to ask so often ourselves. What is it that we're really looking for? when we ask that question. You know, I asked you, who are you? And you gave me a bunch of answers. And yet still, many of us feel like there's something unanswered within us when we think about our identity. We want something to satiate this this desire to feel secure in ourselves or confident in who we are, something. But what is it? What answer is going to make us feel better? What are we really looking for? Listen to this observation from an article in Psychology Today. They say, people who ask this question are typically struggling with their identity and searching for a core sense of themselves. The irony is that the more you seek to identify who you are, the more fragile you are likely to feel about yourself. This is bad news for a lot of us. The more we ask this question, who am I, the less confident we'll feel about ourselves. The more we're obsessed with solving the riddle of our identity, the less progress we will make in doing so. So what do we do then? How do we figure out who we are? How do we solve this question that burns within us? This is how God answered Moses. Verse 12, he said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, this is a strange answer to a simple question. Moses asks, who am I? And God says nothing about Moses' identity. He doesn't say you're going to do great. doesn't say, you're smart enough. He doesn't say, I believe in you. His answer to Moses' question is simply, I will be with you. Now, this phrase is repeated almost a hundred times throughout the Old Testament. 
over and over again in all sorts of circumstances, God wants his people to know that he is with them. In times of trial, in times of doubt, in times of victory and celebration, in worship and in mourning, over and over again, God's people need to know God is with them. So maybe this question of identity that we are asking is the wrong question to ask. Maybe all we need to know is that God is with us. Could it be that simple? Could that be what we're really searching for? A sense of God's presence in our lives? Maybe what you need to know as you're trying to figure out who you are is simply that you are the one God is with. You are the one God is with. That is your identity. And so maybe as you're wrestling with your identity, as you're trying to figure out where you're going to go to college, you need to know wherever you go, you are the one God is with. Maybe as you lose your job and you're trying to figure out what am I going to do and how is that going to affect my sense of self, you need to know you are the one God is with. Maybe as you're trying to figure out, do I really have what it takes to parent this child? This is harder than I ever imagined. How can I do this? You need to know you are the one God is with. And maybe as you get sick or retire or you can't do what you think you can do or you think you're supposed to do more, you just need to remember you are the one God is with. Now take notice that when God tells this to Moses, he does it as part of sending Moses out to accomplish his purposes. Remember, he's sending Moses back to face head on all the identity questions that have plagued him. And he doesn't encourage him by resolving those issues. He just says, I'm sending you into a dangerous place, but I'm not sending you alone. I go with you. Now, when we gather here in worship together as a community, I think we have a sense that God is here with us. We worship and we sing and we talk to each other, we encourage each other, we pray, we, we have a sense of God's presence here, which is amazing. But what we need to know is that God's presence goes out with us from this place. So I was reading somebody this week who wrote about the body of Christ and made the metaphor of, of a human heart and the circulatory system. And they said, just as the heart draws blood into the heart by pumping in one way and then pumps it out of the heart by pumping another way, the body of Christ gathers together as a community for worship and then gets sent out into the world to do the will of God. We are gathered and we are sent. And so we come here knowing, feeling, probably hopefully experiencing that we are the ones God is with in this place but we are sent out confident in the fact that we are still the ones God is with in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, in the places we volunteer, in our neighborhoods, wherever it is we go, we are always the ones God is with. This is the assurance 
that God gives Moses, but he also gives him a sign. And this is great, right? We love signs. We want proof. We want to know that God is real. So God gives Moses a sign to validate that he is going with him. But see, usually in the scriptures, God says, I want you to do this hard thing. So to encourage you, I'm going to give you this sign first. So you know it's me and you have the courage to do the hard thing. That sounds great, right? That's the kind of proof we want. But to Moses, God says, I'm going to flip it around. I'm going to ask you to do the hard thing. Once you've done the hard thing, then I'll give you the sign. And if I were Moses, I'd say, how does that help me? I want to know before I have to do it that it's actually you. But God says, no. I'm going to send you. I'm going to be with you. And you will know it's me because at the end of it all, at the end of what we're going to see over the next several weeks, all the ups and downs, at the end of that, you'll be back at this place worshiping me with all of my people. And we'll find out that God keeps that promise. And that sign doesn't just assure Moses, it speaks to us. It's for our sakes. So that when we hear God calling us, we can look back as we sang earlier today and know that God keeps his promises. So Moses has asked, who am I? And God's answer was, I will be with you. That makes sense then that Moses would have a follow-up question to that statement. This is what happens in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? See, Moses started out saying, here I am. And then he figured out what God wanted to do. So he said, who am I? And God said, I will be with you. So now Moses says, okay, but who are you? Who is this God? If you're going with me, who is it that's coming along? And maybe, as we've circled around this issue, we've gotten to the core question that underlies a lot of our fears. Maybe our sense of identity doesn't actually have to do with doubt about ourselves, but it has to do with doubting God. We want to know who is this God who revealed himself in the Bible? Who is this God that spoke through Jesus? Who is this God that claims to offer a way to salvation? Can he be trusted? Is he true? Is he good? And most importantly, is he good to me? Does this God really care about me? Well, listen to the answer that God gives. This is verses 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever." And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This text right here, this, these few sentences 
are some of the richest theology in the entire Bible. Three words in Hebrew, I am who I am. Those three words, more has been written, more has been reflected, more has been debated about what those words mean than probably any three words in the whole Bible. God says simply, I am who I am. And in those words, we get a picture of God. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. God says, I am who I am. Martin Heidegger was a philosopher in the 1950s. He claimed that the principal question of philosophy is this. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why does anything exist at all? Why, not just why are we here, why is anything here? And this answer from God addresses that question head on. God simply says in the most basic way possible, I am. God is. When we boil it all away, when we strip away all the questions, all the doubts, all the controversies, the most fundamental thing about God is simply that he exists. God is. And because of that, because of God's existence, he forms the basis for everything else that exists in the world. Because God is, we are. Because God is, the world is. Because God is, everything we see, touch, taste, and smell is. His existence grounds our entire reality. Now, we all have moments where we, where we question God, where we doubt him, and we've all asked this question, does God exist? But think about that question from God's perspective. The irony of us, whose very existence relies on his existence, wondering whether he exists at all. It's like me saying, I wonder if this floor is real or if I'm just floating here. But the floor is the only reason why I'm able to even ask about the existence of the floor. God simply is. Now that means so many things for us. We could spend weeks unpacking that, but I want to unpack a few ideas. And the first one is just to say that what that means for us is that we can be with God. Be with God. Now I want to highlight that word be, because I mean it in a technical sense. Not just, hey, go be with God, have a great day, but have your being, your existence, your entire reality with God. Be in the deepest part of who you are with God. The presence of God is your being. Now, the word that God uses in the Hebrew here for I am, uh, the tense there is what we call in Hebrew a cal imperfect, which denotes ongoing activity. It's activity that started sometime in the past, is currently happening, and will happen in the future. Um, so it'd be like if I was running, and you, you, you came alongside of me and said, hey, Paul, what are you doing? And I said, I am running. What I would mean by that is I started running sometime previously. 
I am currently in the process of running, and I expect to continue running for some indeterminate length of time. Right? So God says, I am. So it's not just that God says God is, it's that he's saying God is ising. Got it? God is ising. He was ising, he is ising, and he will be ising. His existence is ongoing. It happens throughout time. His existence is not a single moment of reality. It is something that occurs through the course of the story of this world. Listen to how Jewish scholar Leon Cass describes this. He says, I am who I am, therefore, suggests something not only incomplete and unlimited, but also ongoing, progressing, free, and unpredictable, not static, but acting in time and knowable, therefore, only through watching its deeds and words. Ask not my name, just see what I do. So for God to say to us, I will be with you, and then to say, I am the one who is ising in time, becomes an invitation for us to walk with God through our day-to-day -day experience. You can come here and I can say some words and you can know God through words. You can read his scripture and you can know about God. But to know God in a relational sense is to see what he does in your life, to follow him, to take those risks, to see him be faithful, to know him as he unfolds his character in your life over time. This is the invitation. God sends Moses out, promises his presence, and tells him that he is the one that will be with him over time. We started this morning thinking about this very basic question. Who are you? And you gave me lots of different answers that ranged from relationships and names and identities and occupations and characteristics. And we've talked a lot about how this question of identity can haunt us and bother us in various seasons throughout our life. And yet, we've also seen that the one thing that's constant is the presence of God. That if we have followed Jesus, that if we have aligned ourselves with him and accepted his salvation in our life, God is always with us and that never changes. As the chapter wraps up, God gives Moses a little preview of what's to come. We already know that it was going to be hard, but this is what God says at the end of the chapter. Verse 19, he says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And what we're going to find out is that it just so happens that God's hand is somewhat mighty. That God will stretch out his hand. That he will compel Pharaoh. That he will ensure Moses is successful in the task that he calls him to do. And because it is God and his presence with Moses, this mission that Moses is on will be successful. 
I'd like to invite the worship band to come back up, and we're going to wrap up our time with um, another song of worship. Uh, what I want us to do as we sing and as we reflect is just to remember that our identity is grounded in the character of God, that God does call us to do hard things, that he will send us out from here, but that who we are has way more to do with who he is and what he has promised us than the kinds of questions that typically plague our doubts and our fears and our questions of who we are. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are who you are. It's just literally incomprehensible to us to think about your existence as being just fundamental for all of reality. And somehow we find ourselves within that, going about our lives and wondering who we are. Can, we, can you help us to listen to your voice? Can your spirit open our ears and eyes to simply hear you calling our names? Give us the confidence and the faith to trust in your presence in our lives, to walk with you through time, to see how you take care of us, to see how you accomplish your purposes, to see how you love us and love the world. God, we just don't have words to express how grateful we are to, for who you are, but we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Church, I want to invite you to stand as we respond to that word.